Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Perkins, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, the Bears are no longer on a losing streak, but they got the Cardinals coming to town. Not a good situation for them, but how are you doing tonight? I'm good. We're off the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, we're back into full-fledged football on a somewhat regular schedule, but I'm I'm strangely excited. Now, I don't think the Bears are going to win, just spoiler alert, but I'm excited to see some elements, and we'll talk about that as we get into the show. Awesome. Well, we got a great guest from a uh, sister site at SB Nation. We've got Revenge of the Birds. Uh, so you have met up with uh, and talked with Blake before, so why don't you introduce Blake to the audience? Absolutely. So tonight we've got Blake Allen Murphy. Blake first reached out to me the very first time I went to the Senior Bowl down in Mobile. We talked about some Cardinals draft choices and we've kept up ever since. Love Blake's work. Blake, how are you doing? Doing great, guys. Yeah, you know, you talk about the Senior Bowl and it's, I think, fun because most Cardinals fans are looking back at the 2019 draft that had all these highly ranked Senior Bowl guys that hadn't developed as much. So it's like, yeah, all right, you know, sometimes you hype people up for not as much of a reason. But that's just kind of how it goes with draft and draft projection and everything. Doing great, at least for the most part. And a lot of that is probably due to the Cardinals coming out of their bye week and they still stayed the number one team in the NFC despite not actually playing a game. Uh, very interesting since as Cardinals fans, we're really not used to this. Like, it's like, what is this winning going on? Like the Suns beat the Warriors. The Cardinals are winning games. It, really, you have to wonder, like, is it going to start snowing in the desert this Christmas? Like, it's just crazy. It might. <laughs> yeah, you're having an ice cube kind of kind of season, right? A good day, a good season. So good for you. Ooh, yeah. Well, uh, this is the show where we drink a beer. You are not partaking tonight, Blake. Um, you have some seltzer. It is not hard seltzer. That would have been yes. a first on Bears oh, yeah. Over Beers. Um, but we we're, we brought on a couple of beers. EJ, why don't you start off? Uh, I went with a the theme. I don't always go with a the uh, theme, love it. but I, I went with a the theme. I know you love a good theme. It's Cardinals Week. So I've got San Juan Island Brewing double red ipa so we not get not just one red two reds uh it's good stuff uh but i have to be a little bit careful with it because a it's a 16 ounce can and b it's eight percent Ooh, eight percent huh yep mine is eight percent tonight mine is an eight uh 16 ounce can so i am bringing on indeed brewing company this is a mexican honey imperial lager and this was recommended to me by a Bears Over Beers listener. He goes by at King 58 on Twitter. I asked uh, what beers I should get. He recommended mm. this one. It's not available in Iowa. It is a Minnesota beer, but I happen to have a contact who was in Minnesota and it was coming down to Des Moines for the holidays and oh, reached perfect. out to him, brought it down. Oh, nice. So I'm very excited. It's been uh, you know chilling in the fridge for a few days and I'm really excited to get this going. So why don't we, why don't we pop these open? Yeah, let's do that. That sounds actually delicious. I can't wait to hear the report on that one. Cause that sounds well, a, I think you'll like it cause it won't be too bitter and B um, sounds like something I'd try, which is awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely interested in it. It does not have high IBUs, which is always something I'm looking for. 17 IBUs and 8% alcohol. So even if we're going to be depressed after Blake tells us how good these Cardinals are uh, <laughs> and, and how little a chance the Bears have, I I'll probably still be feeling good. So if you guys want to buy us a beer, check out our Patreon page. That's Bears Over Beers on Patreon. Uh, if you can check us out on YouTube, that's great too. Subscribe, like, comment, all that fun stuff. So Blake, 
I saw on your Twitter profile that people call you Balake. So I want to start <laughs> there. Um, how has your life changed since that Key and Peel sketch came out? Uh, I mean, usually people knew you as Blake Shelton or people joke about Blake Lively. Now it's just every time you do it, it's like you'll be walking up to a drive to menu and be like, hi, what's the name of the order? You'll be like, Blake. And you'll just see the mouth like, I'm like, I, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. You can't try to fool me. You didn't say it out loud, but I saw that. And that's that's really what it goes for the most part. And oh, gosh. Yeah, I do. We'll say at least for this, I don't have uh, the ability to show it because it's gone. But um drank up just the last week. The last case I had of some family came back from Michigan. They brought a case of Blake's hard cider back with them. Apparently it's a Traverse City local. Uh, if I had known that I was going to be on the pod for that, I've saved one can at least for each of those things. But that's what happens when Thanksgiving comes and goes. You kind of feel like you're leaving it a waste if you have any leftovers after there. <laughs> Absolutely. So you already talked about the Cardinals having the best record in the league. And congratulations. That's got to feel good. I'm not sure if it's worthy of hanging a banner, but we are behind you. I just want to say before I start asking uh, questions, I wrote an article today that talked about the 10 teams that Bears fans can start cheering for as the Bears go into hibernation. And my number one team to throw your weight behind, and my recommendation, was the Cardinals. They've never won a Super Bowl. Uh, they have the top seed right now. They're a team that can prevent Green Bay from glory. So, you know, this is this is my recommendation, is that Bears fans cheer for the Bears this weekend. But after this weekend, take, take, the, take the Redbirds out for a test flight and see if this is something you can get into. But it all starts for the Cardinals with Kyler Murray. Now, he missed a couple of games. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, he had a backup quarterback, came in. He did pretty well, which speaks well to the team. But it looks like he's probably going to be back to full health this week against the Bears. I want to know from your perspective, what has Kyler's biggest improvements been over the first three years of his career that he's now this potential MVP candidate? Yeah, when Kyler first came into the league, and I think this is kind of even ties into some Bears avenues because Cardinals fans and Bears fans, it's like you ask, what do the two teams have in common for the most part? And the answer is, well, I mean, they're always either talking about the past, whether that's the 85 Bears or the 2008, even 2015 Cardinals, and they've never had a young franchise quarterback. And that's been one of the avenues that we've really seen with Kyler Murray is coming into uh Definitely terrible team and uh, being able to kind of see that turnaround over the past few years. I think for fans who haven't really watched or have wondered what's happened with Kyler, I think a lot of it goes back to he came into the league and looked like he was, all right, offensive rookie of the year, played well. They only had five wins. He just didn't really run the ball. Last year, he had about 800 yards rushing. It looked like this Lamar Jackson type run heavy offense. And then he either hurts his shoulder, gets a little banged up, and suddenly they drop and go two and uh, I think it was like two and five after starting off six and three to begin the year and this year what's really I think changed has been it's been seeing that process of talent get added to the team and Kyler being able to develop and kind of tighten up a lot of those quarterback notches like we're seeing him look off the safety a bit more you're seeing him when he's re reading the underneath coverage recognizing hey if I throw that ball and think I can fit it in there like if that linebacker's got range you know that could be a pick six the other way we've seen him be able to take some of those steps forward but I think a lot of it is Arizona around him now they've done a much better job of identifying flaws and areas that they need to improve um, last year we saw how when DeAndre Hopkins wasn't the guy Cardinals struggled offensively in the passing game. 
they decided to say, all right, we're going to address this. Drafted Rondale Moore in the second round. Brought in A.J. Green, who apparently is not dust. It was a, much a surprise to me as it was to you guys. <laughs> and focused a whole lot on the intermediate portion of the game. I think that's been the biggest area where he's developed and is also um, in being able to trust his line. And I think that's just due to they traded for Rodney Hudson, three-time Pro Bowl center. Mason Cole goes to the Vikings. And let me tell you, like, if you're a Vikings fan who is excited that Mason Cole was coming in, you probably got a hard reality check for that <laughs> after the last couple of weeks. So I think that that combination of line play, of having weapons, and then ultimately Kyler just being able to tighten up his game as far as for just some of the fundamentals of quarterback, um, being able to say, oh, this is an all-out blitz. Perfect. I know exactly what to do. Just boom, throw the hot route and beat that blitz. There's been little elements like that that we saw mentally at Oklahoma. Finally, it feels like Arizona's caught up to Oklahoma in a lot of those regards as far as just giving some talent around your quarterback and letting him have time to develop because he's got all the physical tools to succeed. He just needed to keep working at it, and you didn't want to have any type of you know, setbacks or having a quarterback get broken, stay out for a number of years. There's a lot of that, which kind of ties in a little bit to the Bears and how the rookie season for Justin Fields has been going. Yeah, we've seen many of the similar issues, and we hope that they follow a similar path to the Cardinals next season and can plug some of those holes that have been made painfully obvious through the first half of Justin Fields' rookie year, see how the back half goes. But Kyler, it's interesting. You brought up him getting hurt last year, and, and a lot of people weren't sort of aware of that because it wasn't anything that necessarily kept him out of the lineup, but he was really obviously dinged up in the shoulder. The, the game had happened. I remember him being on the sideline, just kind of constantly working it with trainers and, and being a guy who's messed up a shoulder. I was like, oh, oh that's mm -hmm. not good. That looks like AC joint stuff. Like, and that's not good for a quarterback. You need you need that shoulder. Do you think that that as bad as it was because it was a it sunk the Cardinal season pretty much after that? They really lost a lot of momentum. Do you think that that happening to him last year helped that growth that we're seeing this year? I think it helped a bit. I think part of what we also saw was what Kyler said, and even talked about this coming into the season, that his legs essentially became the main feature of the Cardinals offense in a lot of different ways. Like your legs would set up the passing game and you would need about 60 or so yards on about eight to 10 carries from Kyler per game. And if he didn't run, which they ran him a lot less after that uh, shoulder injury, then suddenly you saw that production doesn't wasn't being replaced. It was just missing from the Cardinals offense. Mm. So when he looked, he said, hey, we need to be an offense that focuses on being able to run the ball effectively. And I think a lot of that goes back to the air raid concepts. You can see how Cliff Kingsbury, they spread the ball, spread the box out, being able to run the ball and then having different formations and looks. Uh, a lot of that you can even see Rondell Moore has been kind of an extension of their run game that they didn't have last year. It's very different tossing the ball to a uh, big 10 guy who can run a 4-3 than for uh, a big 38-year-old Larry Fitzgerald on the same type of plays. So, But that's where he came into the season. I think that he put a lot more emphasis on being able to pass the ball in different areas. We've seen him be able to take weakness that was the intermediate passing game and make that a big strength which is something that we've seen some quarterbacks been able to figure out at the nfl level um when teams have been hey we'll take away the deep ball let's say we'll take away the shorts passing rate and take away your run game at that point you just have to be able to beat those one-on-one -on -one matchups in the intermediate to keep moving the ball down the field and that's i think the elite quarterback standard and kyler to his credit went from being one of the lowest rated in intermediate to one of the strongest 
uh, in the NFL this past season. And he's reading the NFL and a lot of key statistics right now, or his top five. And a lot of that is, I think, due to a combination of talent, but putting in some of that work to say, hey, this is an area I was bad. Let's make a weakness into a strength. Yeah, and the Cardinals went out and gave him a big boost, too, and got Zach Ertz because that's Zach Ertz's bread and butter is that safety blanket in the intermediate area. So you see them saying, hey, we could use even one more thing. We're going to push all our chips in because you don't get a start very often like this out of a team. And I credit Steve Kime in the front office being bold and saying, yep, we're going to go out and make a big trade to, again, bolster one of those weaknesses and turn it into a strength. I'm looking at Cardinals history page on uh, Pro Football Reference, which is, you know, unofficial sponsor of of any podcast that I'm part of. And because you made a comment about not having a franchise quarterback like the Bears and like, you know, when when Fields got drafted, it was easy for me to say, look, this is the most accomplished guy that the Bears are getting since Johnny Lujak in like the late 1940s and people, oh, Sid Luckman, okay, you know, but it's like 40s or 50s, wherever you want mm-hmm. to say. And I'm looking at the Cardinals history to see if you guys can compete because I was going to make a Patty Driscoll reference. I was going to go oh all the way gosh. back to the 20s <laughs> um, and go from there. But I'm, I'm looking at this page and, you know, Jim Hart in the yeah. 1970s, not a bad quarterback. Neil Lomax, not a bad quarterback in the 80s, right? So, yeah. like, you know, you guys have had a couple of guys, you know, Jake Plummer, um, you know, obviously you, you traded him away, but, you know, in the late 90s, Plummer, but, uh, here, yeah, here's some got things to the playoffs that... with Plummer. They got to the playoffs with him yeah. once, and clearly he's more remembered by a lot of people now as a Bronco. But it was drafted because he was Arizona State to Arizona Cardinals type of guy. So, a couple of things that stuck out: one, Boomer Esiason was a Cardinal <laughs> in 1996. Holy moly, I did not know mm-hmm. that. And Charlie Trippy, who is a Hall of Fame running back, he led your team in running, of course, but also in passing in 1951 and 52. So that yeah. is kind of an amazing. That, hey, the, the halfback pass it basically shows up in two places in 1950s playbooks and me when i run it on madden that's like those are the only two places <laughs> <you see it. laughs> all right so mm-hmm. we already kind of talked about it a little bit but cardinals faded down the stretch last season and you know it allowed the bears to sneak into the playoffs it looked like you guys had the inside track and you allowed that terrible bears team to sneak into the playoffs I think it probably helped Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace keep their jobs. And, you know, that really did not make EJ and I happy. We were ready to clean house. We had already talked about, you know, head coaching candidates and all that. But from the Cardinals perspective of that, we won't put that on your uh, at, at your feet. But from the Cardinals perspective, there's a lot of fallout, I'm sure, when you fade down the stretch like that, you, you get out to a hot start. And a lot of it sort of fell on Cliff Kingsbury. Has Kingsbury grown as a head coach, and and does he look like he's a legitimate guy in that t- division with two well thought of young head coaches, um, or is this a guy that you know you're, you're the the jury's still out on? Yeah, I think going into last year, the jury was out because in the situational as far as the football, Arizona was in a lot of these close contests, some that they won, a lot that they lost. Um, some of it fell down onto the Cardinals having a kicker that you know, missed field goals at the end of a couple games that might have either tied the game or would have potentially won it. And because of some of the areas, then you're super under the spotlight when you're in close games. Like, all right, why'd you call for a timeout there? You're running the ball here on third and two and trusting the kicker who of course then comes on and misses that kick. I think there was a lot of questions last year because when Cliff came into the league, a lot of what we talked about as Cardinals fans was it's probably a bigger positive um, than more people were thinking. Like it's not a guy who obviously had won at the collegiate level. 
And then we look at that. It's like, well, at college, you know, you have Nick Saban is one of like the greatest, if not the greatest college head coach of all times. And he bailed on the Dolphins after like one season because it's just it's a different league. Urban Meyer, obviously having struggles in Jacksonville. I think when Cliff came in, we said, all right, this is a young guy who's shown the ability to be flexible. He doesn't get dogmatically positioned. But there's a there's a vocabulary word, I guess, for the week, dogmatically positioned. Uh, he also at least has a scheme that's adaptable enough that tries to be able to say, all right, we're attacking them here. Whatever punch you have, we'll be able to pull up a counter punch. And we heard that he was really good at game planning of being able to identify team strengths, weaknesses, and adapting on the fly. And we didn't really see a lot of that throughout the first two years. We saw it for some games that they played or he just seemed like he outcoached. There was others where it seemed like they were coming out of a bye or in other areas that there was questions. I think the biggest change that we've seen this year in 2021 when it comes to Kingsbury is that he has basically taken on an extra level of um, whether you want to call it like emotional fire or being able to have this type of what do you call the hard coaching. He's shown a lot more emotion on the sidelines, probably more emotion through the first five games of the season we saw than in like the previous two seasons. And I think that was one of the big areas, at least as far as for recognizing, hey, like if we're going to be in this, I can't just always stand stoic on the sideline to be able to be invested, involved in the players, being able to go out and be able to push for it. It was kind of a spot where this was their win now year. And if you're going to be able to react or respond, I think you would much rather have that guy who's going to be able to fire up that you're able to say, hey, yeah, I can run through a wall for this guy. Versus, you know, I think the obvious one is Jason Garrett, at least, who, you know, you may be down 49 to three, or you may be up 49 to three. And he's just going to be kind of clapping on the sidelines with the same kind of uh, glance. I think that, and then being able to get some experience in the league of, you know, we all put Kyler Murray, give him time to develop. He's got the talent he needs to get there. I don't think we often give young coaches the chance to really kind of grow and develop and change as well. And some of that may be because we're hiring these 50 to 60 year old guys who are kind of set there who they are and maybe there's a little bit more we can say about looking at those cliff kingsbury and sean mcveigh types um especially if it comes to the bears when you're looking for your next head coach it's just kind of a whole new world of all these guys from this madden generation yeah there's a lot going around obviously you can imagine in the bears sort of head coaching (laughs) guessing game crystal ball uh sessions and it's amazing to me how many folks are saying don't hire anybody without head coaching experience. And I'm like, really (laughs) look around the league, uh, you know, in terms of NFL head coaching experience Mm -hmm. and I'm the retread thing seems, you know, there are a couple out there that could be good in that scenario, but a lot of what has been successful recently in the NFL is at the coordinator level, right? It's finding Mm -hmm. those hot coordinators, those, those Kellen Moore's, those, uh, you know, Brian Dable has never been a head coach in the NFL, like getting those people. And for folks that want to limit that and say, if they've never been a head coach in the NFL, I don't want them. I'm like, mm, are you paying attention? Because a lot of teams are having success with this model. But it's interesting as you talk about the Cardinals, you talk about a kicker that wasn't super reliable. Bears fans are like, <laughs> check. You're talking about a coach that doesn't adjust typically well, like coming out of buys or with extra prep time. Bears fans are like, check. A lot of similarities, but again, feels like the Cardinals are maybe a year ahead in development of where the Bears are. They they got Kyler earlier than the Bears got Justin Fields, and you had your struggles last year. Maybe, maybe that's a blueprint that I would hope whoever comes into Chicago, whatever changes are made after the season, and looks at that and says, all right, this this is sort of a model 
that we can look at and say, fill our gaps, get better at some of the things that we weren't great at, and we'll be there in a year or a year and a half. Yeah, I think that's part of the development of when you look at why is it that Arizona got stuff right. I think that on one hand, you could say, oh, it's easy. Just get a number one overall quarterback who won the Heisman for everything. Make sure that you surround him with a great offensive line. And then just trade a second and a third for DeAndre Hopkins and Ronnie Hudson (laughs) while you sign J.J. Watt. Perfect. Easy. It's never that easy as far as the turnaround is for that one in the NFL. But we can see when you've got rookie quarterbacks who learn, that gives a lot of that flexibility. I think what Arizona's really learned from last year and they developed, their general manager, Steve Kime, said this, that they realized after they lost games to the Panthers on the road and then lost games later in the season by just having teams run the football all over them, they realized we need to get tougher and be able to just not simply have these young players who are coming in and are just like, all right, maybe there's, there's a level of toughness they need to get. They went out and added a couple of key veterans, obviously. You mentioned Urs earlier in the show, having some other players there, and then kind of having that type of leadership that's been molded. I think there's some of that that's been there in Chicago, but I think a lot of it ultimately is you need to kind of get talent to begin with that's young, and then you kind of surround young talent with the veteran players. And with the Bears, you always kind of felt like that you were hoping to have that strategy with Trubisky surrounded by with all those players on defense. And just never seemed like it really happened at the quarterback position, at least as far as just never really took that step that was needed. And that's where I think it, in the end of the day, it is a quarterback league. And it's part of where you're hoping you have one of those guys and Justin Fields. And you know, my roommate, he's a Bears fan. And I remember we were talking to each other at one point and I ran and was like, hey, look, what is it? He's like, uh, Fields is coming back on the Steelers. Take a look. He's like, I, I stopped watching that game because I thought they were done. It's like, yeah, t- typical Bears fan, I understand. But seeing him be able to make that kind of step and having that moment, it gives you hope that you can get one of those franchise quarterbacks because it's a have or have not league. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, I, I, we're all in on Fields. So yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you mentioned the last guy I took a drink. Um, we, yeah. you know, have tried to move on from him, but pour one out, pour one out. <laughs> you mentioned JJ Watt, and I want to. I know he's not, uh, you know, an active player right now. He got hurt and he's out. But this Cardinals defense is incredibly impressive, and I think they're the most underrated group in the league. Everybody's talking up the Patriots defense, which they should. They're very good. Uh, I, I don't think people probably talk enough about how good the Bills defense looks, although Tredavious White being out is going to hurt them. But right after that, or right in that group, I think it's the Cardinals. They they have the best points against in the NFC. What What's happening there? It looked unsustainable from last year, uh, but they you come in, you back it up. What's the secret sauce? Who are the players that Bears fans, uh, that Bears fans should keep an eye on this week? Yeah, a lot of Arizona's approach we saw with Vance Joseph, like in 2019, Arizona was the worst defense in the league, hands down. Like they went from being 32nd in rushing in 2018 to 32nd against the pass in 2019. Uh, Patrick Peterson, of course, missed like, you know, what was it, six or seven games and just did not look the same when he came back. But a lot of what I think we saw was having to be able to embrace whatever the type of mentality that Vance Joseph had wanted to bring with um, – this 3-4 attacking style of defense with the idea of we want to build up solid coverage downfield that can hold up in one-on-one, and then that will allow you to kind of use all of these hybrid pieces like Isaiah Simmons being a part of that. You know, you can see how Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson can play in both free safety or strong safety. And then being able to have guys like, you know, you mentioned J.J. Watt. He was a guy you could kind of line up in a five technique, which is, you know, your kind of defensive end and then flip to more of that interior pass rusher. Well, I think that it took about to this year to be able to get that 
plan to be able to pay off. And now you're seeing the Cardinals be able to kind of dictate a lot of teams by saying, hey, we're going to focus on selling out to stop the pass. If you want to run on us, it's fine. But our offense is so high powered that you're going to eventually have to throw the ball to be able to catch up with us. And that's when the Cardinals pass rush has allowed them to be able to take over uh, part of why they've blown out teams repeatedly on the road. I think with Vance doesn't get enough credit as far as for when Cliff was hired, like it felt like he was going to be hired to like, he's the offensive coordinator. He hasn't really like coached defense obviously before it's just not been in his wheelhouse. So bringing in Joseph, at least as a former head coach, who's had all the experience, has had good coverage teams in the past and kind of having him be the defensive head coach. I think that it gave a combination of veteran coach that Kingsbury could then go to, um, in a lot of different ways. And that's where Arizona, like you said, they're they're not only just number one, I think, in the NFC in points, uh, they're also top five in the NFL as far as just yards per game allowed. And that a lot of it started with up front. They don't have Watt anymore, but they've at least done a good enough job of either not getting gashed enough by the run, and that kind of fits with what Vance Joseph's mentality is, um, where he focuses on stop them in the red zone, force the field goals, you know, stop the run as best you can on third and fourth down to push them into that third long situation. And then it was also then in situational football of forcing takeaways. And that's been the spot the Cardinals really, it's kind of been underrated has been, they've been one of the best teams in the NFL as far as point differential, but also in takeaways this season, they've been getting them left and right. They've got some decent playmakers in the secondary. And I think some of it even is, you know, you got Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden are the two guys coming off the edge who are just veterans as far as longtime Cardinals time uh, guys as far as being able to not just sack the quarterback but being able to wrap up and force that fumble so some fumble stuff is just luck it's bounced the Cardinals way uh, they I think in the what was it the Seahawks game they lost the ball four times and didn't actually like lose the ball <laughs> like they had four fumbles in the Seahawks game didn't lose one at, at some point that may come back to hurt them uh, but currently it's been one of the areas where their defense as far as it goes has been pretty complete overall they've got a good enough talent up front they've got solid linebacker play at least with that one even though their first round pick has seemingly been demoted and their coverage in the secondary has been you can be sticky and stay with your man and you know occasionally read the quarterback to grab a pick it's all just been working very well at a high level for the cards and I think that comes down to that this is a team where they're so far not I think only one first down or fourth down I should say has been completed on them the entire season like they are a menace of a team when it gets to that situational football swarming to the ball and that's going to make it difficult I think for a Bears offense that just has not really been able to put it together consistently this year. Yeah, the Cardinals felt like that team that have added depth last year there we talked about their defense being incredibly top heavy, right? And Chandler Jones goes down and Patrick Peterson injured. After that, there wasn't enough depth. They they had obviously gone out of the top pick and got a defensive player who was young and, and came on in the second half of the season, but it just didn't match up between the front and the back. And once a couple of key playmakers on defense went down, they just didn't have a lot behind them. They, they filled in, right? And we can talk about David Collins not playing, but he's also actually been beat out, right? It's not that just he played terribly. Another player on the team like earned that spot, came in and and actually got the captain stripe. So they've added a decent corner from the rookie class. And it feels like they're just a little bit deeper at all three levels. And that's allowing them to play this team defense where that's really what you need to do to keep points off the board is you need all three levels to work together. And the Cardinals are doing that this year because they have the horses. And even though JJ Watts out, like you said, they're still getting pass rush. So it allows, you know, 
those are the two levels to play off that matching rush to coverage. We hear about that all the time. And they right. just feel like they added a couple key horses that allowed them, even with injuries, to really be leading the league on defense. And everybody talks about Kyler and Hopkins and now Ertz and even the ghost of AJ Green. Like offense gets the focus, but the defense is keeping them in the games and allowing that offense, like you said, to just go out and sprint. And then at that point, you got to keep up and the defense can just tee off. Yeah, and they've been able to get a good edge on teams early, and that's been a part of it is like you'll see in games like um, I think of the Colt McCoy-San Francisco game. They forced two fumbles, one on George Kittle, one at least it gets punched out against Brandon Ayuk in the first quarter, and then the offense then goes and punches it in into uh, the end zone. We haven't even talked about like the impact that we've seen you know, James Conner being added from this year when, mm. like A.J. Green, it's like, all right, if you were going to basically say that you get to the Cardinals, you're like, hey, guys, all right, I'm going to give you this scenario. Cardinals' main offensive weapons in this game are Colt McCoy throwing the ball to A.J. Green, and you got James Conner back there running the ball for all that. And then you're just like, <laughs> uh, okay. And then you see the final score, and you're like, what? What? What is happening here? Did the Niners have just not show up? Like, is is the stadium yeah. just empty? It doesn't seem like it should work, but in a lot of cases, I think it's you know, you match a lot of what the coaches like to do, whether it's the air raid concepts, being able to say, hey, we've got you know depth in Eno Benjamin for if. Our starter and Chase Edmonds goes down. That's a similar type of player. And we've got our, you know, our big back that can run the football, at least, and James Conner for that one. And being able to have a lot of those players, not just on these, like, you know, cheap deals where you're motivated, but these are guys who have all done it in the year before. And then having some of that depth. Um, my favorite, like, depth player that has been kind of unsung this year has actually been Antoine Wesley in replacing DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, he's a guy who was at the University of Texas Tech with Cliff Kingsbury. And you see a couple times they had plays that were drawn up for Hopkins that he's able to like, all right, cool. He had four catches for 44 yards. That may be all you need to do is just not be a guy who goes out and has, you know, zero catches on three targets. Like being able to have some of that depth behind has allowed them to be able to get by and then allow, like you said, the the defense is really kind of, I think, the kind of, I guess, what makes the engine go and then kind of sets the offense, puts them into good places. Uh, that's really what it comes down to, I think, in the NFL, is if you can manage your turnovers and be able to be productive on offense, you should be able to win games more often than not. And if you're not winning those games, then you need to take a look at what's happening from a coaching standpoint and if you've got the talent in place. And that's why I think there's a lot of you know questions about Pace and Nagy this year. You keep trying to bring it back to the Bears, but we want to focus on this great Cardinals team. So yeah. I'm going to flip to a little. I'm not bit trying of to be a... negative for that. I'm not trying to be too negative. No, they're, like, just, you know, they're just they're just about fields just, all day. Yeah, right? yeah, just you're in inside. you're in good company about being very realistic and pragmatic about the Bears. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to go a little bit quicker here. We're going to go speed. Um, we're going to start with the uh, with more football based questions, and we're going to transition into this more fun stuff. But Cardinals coming into Week 13, best record in football. Schedule down the stretch at Chicago, home against the Rams, who look like they're kind of fading right now, at the Lions, who haven't won a game yet, versus the Colts, good team, maybe not great team, um, at the Cowboys, who also look like they're kind of folding right now, uh, and then the Seahawks at home, who are not a good football team this year. Simple question. Can the Cardinals hold on to the number one seed in the NFC? 
Yeah, I think they can. Their schedule, like you said, anytime that you're the number one seed in the NFC and you've got, you know, the Bears, the Lions, and then the Seahawks team left on your schedule, you kind of feel like that you should be able to at least win some of those tougher games. Uh, I think the, right now, the biggest question is going to be is, do the Cowboys get healthy and that's a road game you're talking about in the new year? Do the Colts that have a defense that has been tremendous at forcing turnovers play well? Um, really, the thing that's toughest for the Cardinals is it may not have even been a question if A.J. Green turns around and catches that ball in that Thursday night game because then you're a game head-to-head behind the Packers. But thanks to, you know, Aaron Rodgers decides to, uh, you know, let Jordan Love go in for a game against the Chiefs and suddenly that flip-flops and goes back the other way. I think this is a Cardinals team that has proven that they probably are the best team in the league. But just because you're the best team, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to go out and have that number one seed. We've seen teams that have gotten hot late, that have gotten healthy late, been able to storm through. I think the big question for me here is they should be able to hold on to that number one seed for the most part, and can they be motivated enough versus guys like, all right, cool, we're the top seed. You know, Maybe you take a playoff or two, you're not as intensified. We saw a little bit of that where the Cardinals were playing in 2015 for that number one seed. They dropped their last game of the. They uh, dropped one game, I think, down the late stretch. Panthers go on to go finish fifteen and one. Cardinals end up going thirteen and three. They just all right. We'll sit everyone. We're not going to get to fourteen and two. Can they have that extra burst to be able to finish with perhaps what would be for them their best all time season of having a fourteen and three type of finish? I think that they can. There's a lot that shows that this team has like been motivated, encouraged, and they have a chance even to get JJ Watt back for the last stretch of the year or for the playoffs. So I think that. Right now, you can say, yes, you should. Like, There's almost no excuses by bringing back Kyler and Hopkins to be added back to this team that you know, was able to go two and one in division in what probably could be the toughest division in football. Okay, real quick, mm-hmm. if that doesn't happen, why? What's the Achilles heel of this team? Hmm. Achilles heel of this team is very simple. If they turn the ball over more, especially early, That allows teams to be able to play this, you know, defense, ground and pound type of game, force Arizona to have to throw the ball. They can catch up with Kyler a lot more, but it becomes an area where they just are a team that is built to, you know, beat you by being able to just, hey, take the ball away, be able to kind of manage or run the game down, be able to run up the score. When you flip the script and they are coming from behind, we've seen only kind of that happened one time this year, and it was against the Packers where they had to have that 90-yard yard drive from Kyler Murray after they stopped them. The Packers have gone out and said, hey, the game plan you want to have for Arizona is don't give up on running the ball, keep running it, and then force takeaways. Now, you're, you're probably not going to have you know two special teams errors and then a crazy not turnaround in a game. The Cardinals still almost won that despite the three turnovers, but that's the way that you win. If there's an Achilles heel, it's force the Cardinals to turn over the ball, especially early, and being able to take care of business yourself by being able to manage the clock. Don't let their offense and Kyler Murray have that ball to score. All right. Official speed round starting. Cardinals, of course, everybody knows this, started as the Chicago Cardinals, and they are also the oldest team with the Bears. They played their home games at Soldier Field, which I think a lot of people don't know. They played those games up until 1959. In fact, the Cardinals have played more seasons in Chicago, 40, than they have in St. Louis, 28, and in Arizona, 34. Obviously, Arizona will eventually catch up and pass Chicago as the most seasons for for the Cardinals. But do Cardinals fans care about any of that shared history with the city of Chicago? Does this game hold any kind of significance for Cardinals fans coming back to Chicago? 
Probably not as much as St. Louis. Um, there's well, maybe not even as much as other teams. It's just, it's been so long ago. The people, there's some people who grew up as Chicago Cardinals fans and they're all like, you know, grandparents now on their fourth grandkid. It's just after a certain amount of time, it just kind of, I think, fades some. I could see it being a little bit more for some fans who like are longtime aficionados of the team who remember, like we talked Charlie Trippy and others, but probably not as much as far as a special spot in place. It probably does more for the next question you're going to ask. <laughs> well, my next question is, were the Bears who you thought they were in 2006? And what was your reaction to Denny Green's famous press conference meltdown at the time when it happened? Because as a Bears fan, it was wonderful. Uh, we just, just crown your ass. That's all you can say to all of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that'll maybe there'll be a flip here. We'll we'll get something similar on hey, the other side. Just today, Cardinals website they have a whole entire like mini documentary they just dropped on all of that for the Denny Green for that press conference. That's one of the most known Cardinals moments of all time. You want a you want a super fun story, JB? Let's do it. So I was in Hawaii for that game. I was there a week early to scout locations and find somebody to get me married. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the game's on. It's third quarter. I am raging because the bears sure. look like garbage. Right. My soon to be wife looks at me and goes, you know, we're a block and a half from the beach and the sun hasn't set yet because we're in Hawaii. <laughs> why don't we just go like go body surfing? Like, why don't we just go down to the beach and chill out? Cause you're not pleased. And that's not why we're here. And I was like, all right, fine. Cool. Oh no. Like, oh yeah. No, we turn it off. And I, this actually gets good. So we go to the beach, we hang out, we watch the sunset, hang out in the water. It's great. We come home, we get dried off. We go out to a nice dinner. I don't even look like I literally wake up the next morning to the entire Denny Green reaction, rage, whatever. And I'm like, why is he so pissed? <laughs> and then I look and I'm like, oh, my God, they won the game. And then I go back and I look at all the recaps and I'm like, you're not going to believe this. They won the game. And it becomes this. That was the very beginning of that week. And literally the next weekend I got married. Uh, in Hawaii, but that game was like I was so angry, and I woke up the next day and I was completely like I suppose many fans that had probably turned it off, just like, Why is Danny Green so angry? Like, they won the game, and then I was like, They didn't win the game. So, anyways, there's <laughs> your fun story about the Danny Green press conference. I uh, laughed maniacally, like <laughs> hours after I just couldn't, like, it just, it was so funny to me. I just couldn't stop laughing how, how cool that comeback was. But all right. So, Cardinals, yeah, thank, yeah, yeah, time's sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> all I remember, move it along, move it along. All I remember about that game was I was just completely like, yes, I mean, people didn't talk about it, but Matt Leiner had like 400 passing yards in that game for the most part. It looked like it was like, finally, like, finally, Matt Leiner is the answer we've all been waiting for. And uh, that's why I remember that game specifically because he never, never the had a Matt Leiner breakout half. Yeah. Because uh, it wasn't the Matt Leiner breakout <laughs> game. No, nope, say that. Nope, nope. No, it was not. All right. So, Cardinals uniforms. We like, EJ and I both mm. like uniforms. We like to ask these questions. So, um, what's your favorite uniform kit or the best uniform kit? And I, I have a specific question. I, I've never mm. liked the white helmets. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you would sign off on a red Cardinals helmet. 
I've seen some of the red helmets before, and it's tough because, like, everything about the Cardinals as far as red, when you put red on red, like, either it looks really great or it ends up being, like, just a bit much. I, I've seen the Cardinals, like, a lot of people argue their best uniform are the black unis that they'll wear. I actually really like the older you know, white uniforms that they had with the red pants that they would wear. Like we're talking like the Josh McCown years, at least when he was with the Cardinals, because he's been with every single team. I think that having some of that as an alt to bring back is there. It's just, it's so different when it comes to like the reason why the red stands out is because Cardinals are red and white. It's red logo on a white helmet. I would lean a little bit more toward a black helmet, honestly, than a red one. But then at that point, I have people who are just meant like, wouldn't that just make them the Falcons then? I'm like, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably a fair point. At some point, you kind of end up seeing that there's a history that's been attached to it. And, you know, it's a spot where I think I would be much more of trying some new things to see how they would work out, obviously. But um, really, when it comes down to it, like part of when you're a Cardinal is if you got the Cardinals scheme of red and white and you didn't go with like a red and yellow or a red and black, then you kind of end up having some of that form has to be in a helmet combination, at least, unless you're going to make a huge change to your brand. <laughs> sure. What do you think about the state flag unis? Now, these were mock-ups that floated around the league last year. Uh, folks were doing sort of the, the conversion on Kyler Murray and that they've got a state flag patch on them. Um, have you seen them and what do you think of them? Yes. And I love them. They're very much like those, like the white uniforms that they have with the red pants. And what's kind of fun is like when you look at how, you know, Arizona, most people are used to desert colors. Most people are thinking of like, you know, there's going to be like tons of sand. There's just going to be like there's cool sunset colors. What's nice about the Arizona state flag is it's probably like in power rankings. It's probably going to be like the one one in power rankings as far as just state flags are concerned. So why not just lean into all of that? Oh, my God. Oregon flag. It has a beaver on it. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just like, saying, like, just, just, just to point out, I got one thing for it real quick. It's behind me. So let me go. This, this is going to be like, you know, this is the, all like, right. No worries. Thing. I, I just I had top 10 things I didn't have on my bingo card. Well, here was... we have our Cardinals logo that they had. Where you can see the logo with their state flag attached for that one that's there. I think if this is going to be a look you wanted to go toward, like to me, this is fire with you got your blues, the deep color. You got your contrast. It's all in there. You got the logo, at least for gold. I think that while gold usually goes with the 49ers, that makes a lot of sense. Like one thing that we've seen Arizona State do that, Arizona Cardinals haven't is lean into copper because hey copper state mm, they did yeah. a lot of copper having some of that burnish color I've seen some great jersey mock-ups that kind of combine a little bit of the Cardinals red with some copper looks that one so if you told me hey pick a color any color to have to have for your helmet I would just pick a copper helmet at least for that one if I had I to like that that would be maybe be that'd be pretty fire I think yeah, I no, like that's that. Great, that's right? awesome. You're bringing you're bringing the fire on that. That's hey, great. We've been pushing for uniforms for years, and even the Cardinals are like, we didn't realize people cared about this. And it's like, yeah, pe people, yeah, do. people care it's, about uniforms. People care about this. <laughs> very important. Very important to winning. Well, uh, what about food at a tailgate in in Arizona? Like, what's the what's the tailgate food? Yeah, Arizona is unique too, I think, as far as that there's a huge presence of people who move from elsewhere. Like you're going to probably show up to a Cardinals tailgate 
And if they were playing in here in Arizona, it might be like 30% Bears fans because like how many people wanted to leave Chicago and go to a place where it's like you're sitting outside and having 75 degrees and sunny weather for Thanksgiving. So a lot of people in Arizona are from somewhere else. My parents are both from Michigan and a lot of people are elsewhere. So some of the best food you'll have at tailgates are the longtime Cardinals fans. That'll be like having um, there's some barbecue, but really I do like having when you can get like that freshly done uh, carne asada. There's a mm, lot there of people go. that are over talking. there, at least that come through, because it's like, you know, Tex-Mex is one thing, but Arizona has its own special brand of Mexican food that is just mm, delicious in a lot of ways. And I think that would be my go-to if you had to pick for a game day, because there's a lot of people who it's like, hey, man, this is the same recipe I've been making since Cardinals moved here in 1988, same recipe that I've had since I've been sitting with my bum on those metal seats in like, you know, 110 degree weather watching this team in, you know, September while booing the Dallas Cowboys. And it's like, there's a lot of history, I think, that goes into some of that. And there's a special place, I think, in every Cardinals fan's hearts for those people who kind of were the early long-term adopters of the teams. Before, you know, they got into their stadium, before they were even really considered an adequate or respectable football team. They they were kind of the Browns for a number of years through the uh, 90s and 2000s, as, as unfortunate as it may be. Yeah, no, Arizona was a sideshow for a while. It was signed Emmett Smith for the last year and a half of his career. Yeah. It was it was that was their claim to fame. It's just grab whoever we can get who is a name who's not gonna really contribute, but it's just gonna sell tickets. And yeah, those uh-huh. seats it's funny you mentioned those. You could cook carne asada on those things before they get <laughs> into their stadium. To say, uh, Buddy Ryan, anyone remember the Buddy Ryan Cardinals era? Like, this is yes, a legit do. It's a legit thing as far as for that. Is just like, and I think the favorite stat someone had was the Cardinals would draft a running back in the top five. Let's see what Hall of Fame career he went on with when they did not re-sign him and he would go to another team. Like, oh, Thomas Chiefs, Jones, man, thank you, Thomas Jones. Yep, yeah, Thomas Jones, one of those guys that's there. There's just all sorts of those different players. I think. Uh, what was it? There was another guy, at least for Leonard. Oh, what was it? They drafted a tackle, I know, like top seven. Goes on to have like an all-pro career with the Niners, I think, at least at right guard. So it's just, oh, okay. So like it would just be a spot where guys would come into Arizona, get drafted in the league, and then they just wouldn't keep them. And we've been able to see the the ownership, at least, be able to pour money back into the team, the players. And some of that did come from getting that stadium in that 2006 game against the Vikings is a whole whole other story, at least in all of that, with you know Bears legend Josh McCown being the one who delivered that final blow. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, last one for you, Blake. How much money or <clears throat> you know, whatever else, uh, you know, dares or whatever you want to want to put on this, but how much would you spend to be able to watch a game at the Kingsbury estate? And Ooh. if you get to watch a game there, what are you catering in? Gosh. Okay. So the question I have is if you're going to be at the Cliff Kingsbury state, like, are you going to be watching the game or are you going to be more concerned with like the models and supermodels that are probably also at like the Kingsbury estate? All of these because, like, this is Scottsdale. This is paradise Valley for all that stuff. I don't know if I would be watching the game as much as like, you know, the Cardinals will play again next week. Let me go and talk to like, you know, miss <laughs> uh, talk to like um, miss Czechoslovakia over there or something like that. Cliff, there's a whole story where he did, where he like talked to his buddy, Sean McVay to like get tickets to a Rams game for her or something like that. So as far as for the food that gets, serve there man like you gotta at least say as far as with cliff goes i would be very curious if he's not gonna have like whatever it is he's watching on netflix it's like there's two or three types of like shows to like pick one show and watch it and that's like 
you know, we always joke if Cliff isn't watching film in the film room, there's like one show like Peaky Blinders on Netflix or Squid Game. Like the man just, I think, lives in front of his TV for the most part is what's interesting. So I would think it'd be something Netflix themed. Like, I don't know if it'd be Squid Game, like serving squid or something like that, but I could see it being at least some sort of theme party. Dude was a huge Peaky Blinders fan. Maybe got your Irish mashed potatoes and some, you know, maybe some bangers and mash. I think that could be part of it, but. If I had to say, you know, this long-term Texas guy, it's got to be some form of Texas barbecue that I would assume that he's taken care of over there. And at some point, you know, it's like Paradise Valley is just, it's got this weird mystique for us in Arizona. Like, it's not often that you have, like, this place that people go to get away from Hollywood, but it's like, it's celebrity witness protection program. You'll have people who are like, <laughs> hey, it was like I was talking, I think there was like a person who was there as a chiropractor comes down, does stuff at the Cardinals games. It's like, oh, yeah, I was over there. I watched out the window and I saw someone banging on a trash can. A bunch of police showed up. And then that was how I learned Richie Incognito was my neighbor in Paradise Valley. And I was like, OK. <laughs> I very uh, Matthew McConaughey. Oh yeah, no, no, that would uh, that'd be very different for each of these. But yeah, no, it's 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 a unique place for that. Cliff, obviously, we haven't even talked about the uh, what is it, Agent Agent Schefter being able to pass on that news about how Oklahoma was pursuing him, which would be uh, kind of the funniest full circle area. It's, he's going to get paid a whole lot. He'll probably be able to go to an either a nicer house and there, or maybe you just start seeing Cliff have a new car or two. He's going to get a pretty big pay raise for this since he went from being one of the least paid coaches in the NFL. And props to him, at least. He convinced the team to move on from Josh Rosen. Probably was a little bit easier than we think, at least, for that. And was able to go on. And now he's probably going to get a nice little pay bump, at least for the most part, as are a lot of people on the Cardinals after this 9-2 and two start. Yeah, I'm not worried about Chris Kingsbury's bank account. But, Blake, I really appreciate all the knowledge and the excitement. And we wish you the best of luck. All Honestly, all the best to the Cardinals. Like, seriously, you guys deserve it. Great fans. It's a fun team. I'm really excited to see what they can do the rest of the year. Hey, that's why I say, like, I love rooting for players, especially when it comes to these young quarterbacks. It's a huge Justin Fields fan, at least for all of that with him coming out. So my roommate being a Bears fan, obviously, if both of our teams are doing well, then, I, you know, you know, relationships will do well. Hopefully I won't be, you know, kicked out of my place, at least after this game is done, if the Cardinals <laughs> come in back with Hopkins and Murray and have that. So I'll let you know if you see me outside on my phone, at least, or something like that one, looking all grimy. You'll be able to know after this game. All right. Thanks, Blake. Appreciate Take it. Take care, guys. Have a good Take one. Take care. Take care. All right, EJ, we're back. So let's talk about – I just want to talk about what can Bears fans cheer for in these last six games because there's going to be some tough ones, right? They they, they play the the Cardinals this week. It's going to be a tough game. And Blake was very nice to kind of try to, well, you know, maybe – it's going to be a tough game. Uh, they're going to have to play Green Bay. That's going to be a tough game. Those are two of the best teams in the NFC. The Bears just don't have it together. Those are going to be tough games. They play the Vikings twice. Vikings are feisty. I I would love to see them sweep the Vikings or at least split with the Vikings, but they're feisty right now. They're in a little better position than the Bears are to try to capture a playoff spot, so I'm not sure if that'll happen. So there are some tough games ahead. So I wanted to just kind of lay out a few things that Bears fans can cheer for, and I think the obvious one, of course, is number one. That's Justin Fields. So it doesn't look like he's probably going to play this week, but who knows? But they were talking about Dalton taking a lot of snaps. So that that to me says that uh, Dalton's probably going to start. Fields won't play. But in the last part of this stretch, what are you looking for out of Justin Fields that will make you feel good going into next year? Yeah, Fields' development is number one with a bullet. It has been since he got drafted in Chicago. I want to see him 
this is going to be a strange thing to say, but I want to see him speed up and I want to see him slow down. Right. Yeah. And I want to see him speed up when he needs to, when that pocket starts to collapse and it will, because the offensive line, we'll talk about that in a little bit is not playing great consistently. And that's what you want out of an offensive line is consistency. Even if they're going to be average, you want them to be average consistently. And the quarterback wants to know what to expect. Watching the Monday night game with Russell Wilson, I tweeted out like, man, the Seahawks and Chicago have a lot in common on offense right now because you'd see Russell Wilson go back, not even hit his back foot and duck, right? Mm. Because he knew they were coming. And I was like, that looks a lot like Justin Fields in his second start, right? So, I, you know, I want to see him speed up in those times because he has to. Like, that's right. just a factor. You're not going to get great play out of whatever mix of the line they come up with. We hope it gets better, but it's not going to be awesome. So he needs to speed up and not take the dumb sack. And then slow down when he's got some of those intermediate and short routes, right? there, He loves to throw the deep ball, and he's very good at it. He is incredibly accurate deep. We've talked about that as a strength. But sometimes, and there are ample pieces of evidence every week around the league for this, sometimes dumping it down to your very capable back and letting him pick up six yards is exactly what you need to do, right? Don't try and force it in there with your rocket of an arm. Don't see if you can challenge that safety who's converging. You know, go, huh, that's a little tighter than I'd like, and that guy over there is wide open. I should just chuck it to him. So, Speed up and slow down in the right places. Everything after that is probably gravy. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that you're going to see, you know, this polished product by the end of the year or anything like that. But he gets a few more starts under his belt. You just want to see progress. You just want to see more of those good things strung together and fewer of those bad things happen, right? That's all you can kind of ask for. He's still going to make mistakes. He's still a rookie, but you want to see those kind of lessen. Uh, Lester mentioned that uh, a lot of the sacks early on, he was crediting to Fields. Like he was just, he was sitting on the ball. He was taking the sacks and he was blaming Fields for them. But over the last few games, he couldn't put them on Fields because it was, it was offensive line breakdown. So it looked like he was speeding that part of it up. So that's good progress, right? Like the, the, obviously his his deep passing game and the play action game has been good sort of since the start. But, you know, can we see, like you say, intermediate passing game? I don't know if he's going to have enough time to progress in the quick game. That it's going to take him a little longer to get there. But, you know, can he can he make those progressions on his uh, reads and pull the trigger when he needs to, but also back off? probably listen to Andy Dalton and learn how to like dump the ball <laughs> off every once in a while. Right. Um, yeah. So that'll be kind of interesting to see. But um, I think the second thing that bears fans can cheer for is Robert Quinn. And I know that's a, that is a curveball. That is a twist, uh, a plot twist to this season, but Robert Quinn's currently chasing down Richard Dent's franchise sack record. And I think some people are going to be like, well, I don't want him to break Richard Dent's record, but I love watching current players go after franchise records. I love it. And Robert Quinn's at 11 sacks right now, and he's got six games left, and Richard Dent's rec team record is 17 and a half. And I think it'd be really cool if he can get up there and he can challenge that. It'll be a lot of fun, and he deserves it. He's having an incredible season, and he has picked up a ton of slack when Mac got hurt, and now Mac's out for the year. This doesn't get talked about enough. Um my buddy Brandon Thorne, who's an offensive line expert, loves Robert Quinn's game. 
And this is a tough one for Bears because he got signed to a big money deal. And when most Bears fans became really familiar with Robert Quinn's game, he was operating at about 50%. So Robert Quinn largely plays, you could say, right defensive end or right edge, outside linebacker, whatever. He rushes from the right-hand side. That means his inside ankle is his left ankle, and it's the one that has to bend the most as he goes around the corner. Is That's where the compression happens. Is If you're going to get that great lean and bend that all pass rushers have, you're going to have to compress that left ankle. His left ankle was hurt and he couldn't lean and bend. And he, I assume, felt a lot of pressure to contribute because he was getting a big money deal. He was on a new team, but he was basically running on one leg. And that's when most Bears fans formed their impression of Robert Quinn, rightfully so. First impressions are very strong. And they went, holy crap, paying this guy a boatload of money and he's he looks washed, right? Well, he was. He was running on one leg. He comes back this year after having procedure done, and he is fully healthy. He is back to having what Brandon Thorne terms as some of the best, if not the best bend in the NFL. Now, that's a hell of a statement. You're talking about guys like Miles Garrett. You're talking about uh, Brian Burns. You're talking about uh, TJ Watt, like all the guys that come off the edge with fire. And he's saying Robert Quinn might have still the best bend in the NFL. Now we're seeing... We're seeing a regression to a positive mean. I'll, I'll go with Blake and we'll just add vocabulary words here, right? Like Robert Quinn's career up to the point where he joined the Bears was of great success, no matter which team he was on. He had a very down year because of his injury his first year in Chicago. Most Chicago fans go, oh, he's crap. Well, now he is back to being an average Robert Quinn and he is tearing limb from limb. Like I totally want to see him break the record because he is playing with the hottest hand on the bears defense at any level. And I say that knowing that Roquan Smith has been tearing it up for the past four or five weeks. He's been playing at a super high level. Robert Quinn still playing at a higher level than Roquan was. I'd yeah. And, to see him break the record. And, and, you know, I, I think back to the free agent episode that we had after he was signed, it was him and Graham and Foles that whole, that whole deal. And, you know, we we're like, hey, we're really excited about uh, Robert Quinn. We are really upset about this Jimmy Graham contract because this does not make any sense. And I was very upset about the Foles thing. I, You had to, like, kind of talk me off the ledge. But, <laughs> um, but we, we both were into Robert Quinn. And, oh, yeah. And, and, and we knew it was a lot of money, but it made sense because you were pairing him with your best, your best player, Khalil Mack. You were giving him – you were pairing – Robert Quinn, who's a speed rusher, to Khalil Mack, who's kind of an everything Superman kind of guy, but you know, really is a power guy. And, and it made a lot of sense. Like you could see a plan. And even if I would maybe want to allocate my resources a little differently, if I was a GM, I could see the plan and I was excited from the football perspective. And then it just didn't happen. And there was a lot of people like, see, he's not that good. He's washed. And you're like, uh, all right. I mean, maybe, you know, because they don't disclose these football injuries necessarily. You don't know how much they're impacting him. But I'm really happy for him. I'm really happy for him to come back strong. He's a really good player. And he's able to claim the franchise record. I think it's awesome. I'm rooting for it. So, um, yeah. I, I think it's one of those things like let's just say because injuries are fickle like they happen like Khalil Mack right now he's on IR he's out he's having foot surgery it's fickle it happens if Robert Quinn hadn't been injured and he had this season last season 
no one would question that addition by Ryan Pace. They would have been right. like, that's amazing because he would have been contributing at that level opposite a healthy Mac and everybody. And that was the ideal, right? That's what the Bears signed him with in mind. And it, look, it didn't happen because of an injury, which is just happenstance. That's not anybody's fault. If that had worked out, no one would question this move and very few people would question the money, including me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so the next thing in the Bears franchise history, one of the rarest things, this is like, I don't know, seeing a blue moon or I, I, I don't know, something very rare, right? A thousand yard receiving season, just not something the Bears are known for, right? 17 1,000 yard receiving seasons in their history. Darnell Mooney has a chance at it. He's put together a couple of nice games here in the last couple of weeks. He's now on pace to be able to have a 1,000-yard receiving season. Now, he's had some ups and downs this year, but overall, he's still a very good player. We're still excited about him. We believe that he needs another really good wide receiver to pair with him, but he can get that 18th team 1,000-yard receiving uh, 1,000-yard receiving season. So that is something that Bears fans can cheer for, is Darnell Mooney adding that his name to that list. Yeah, and I think Bears fans need to clean up the noise here because they can be extremely happy that Darnell Mooney gets a thousand yards and he would deserve it. He's an excellent wide receiver, but they tend to cloud that with adding, well, yeah, but he's not a one, a alpha sort of wide receiver. I, I don't care. Separate that. Like again, the bears have played more seasons in the NFL than any other team. They have 17 total 1,000 yard receiving seasons. Darnell Mooney might get one. I don't care if he's a 1A. I don't care if he's a 2. I don't care if he's a slot. I think he's a 2 if we're going to get right down to it. But I don't care because he is the best receiving threat on the Bears this season. And if he can pull 1,000 yards with the smorgasbord of quarterbacking that the Bears have had and the smorgasbord of offensive line pass protection that they have or have not had that's a major achievement like darnell mooney is a damn solid player we can throw in the fact that he was drafted way down in the draft he's an incredible value he's a guy that works really hard seems fully committed to the game of football and really talented he's missed like think about the passes he's missed that would add to his total already in terms of things that maybe went off one hand or were thrown behind him. There's a bunch of those that I can think of just offhand, right? No pun intended that he would have 150, 180 extra yards right now if he'd caught those. So he's having a heck of a season. He's a great player. I don't care about the, is he a one or is he a two argument? He's doing great root for the guy it's one of the high spots of what is really a low spot for the bears overall yeah there are some bears fans at least on twitter that you have to basically be jerry rice and probably jerry rice wouldn't satisfy <laughs> jerry rice wouldn't people, get right it. because yeah. he couldn't go up and get it or something you know like there there are some people that have i don't know maybe two wide receivers that satisfy their one number one wide receiver uh, metric but anyway we, we'll we'll get into that in another episode but you know, similarly, um, thousand yard receiving uh, is without one thousand yard rusher. Now, obviously, the Bears have had many, many more one thousand yard rushing seasons. Um, that's kind of what they're known for: is good running backs. 
David Montgomery has a chance. Now, he needs a good game or two. He missed some games. That's why this isn't necessarily a slam dunk for him. It would be if he had played and was healthy all, all, all season. But he does have a chance to do this. And if Matt Nagy and Bill Lazor are committed to try to get him enough carries, even if the score is somewhat lopsided, which I think a couple of these have the potential in being, uh, Dave Montgomery can still get a thousand yard season. And that would be his second. That would be really nice to see for a young back um, to come back from injury and be able to contribute in that way and add his name to a really great list of running backs that have had more than one 1000 yard season in franchise history. I would like to see it. I love David Montgomery as a player. There is a piece of me, a little dark draft gnome nerd piece of me that's like, kind of hope he doesn't get it. Oh, let's hear it. Why? And it's not anti-David Montgomery at all. Love the player, love the person, love the effort, love the talent. This organization, and this should not be held against David Montgomery, the player. This organization traded up to get David Montgomery. That was a fine move at the time. It was a decent value. <laughs> this organization also drafted Khalil Herbert in the sixth round. Yeah. Right. And Khalil Herbert has shown easily as much pop and efficiency as David Montgomery did. Now, David Montgomery is worth two picks. Both greater than sixth round. Sure. Khalil Herbert is worth one sixth round pick. Right. And we had this discussion at length on bootleg last night, which we recorded. And we had a whole thing about first round running backs and a little hybrid of highest paid running backs, which are running backs who've hit their second contract and got paid, which is what happened. There's a whole flood of them two years ago. CMC, Dalvin Cook, Kamara, they all got paid in the same year. And we looked at where they are now and where their production is and, and you know, really juxtaposed it with players who are lesser drafted, lesser paid, and, and what they can create or produce how efficient they are in their offenses and the story ain't great for first round running backs and it's even less great for highly paid running backs and that was 12 uh, 12 million a year aav or more and the bottom line is running back is fungible so that's our third vocab word for the day you can replace them like they're easily replaceable and they are going to get hurt they're going to get hurt at a higher rate than almost any other player in football. That is a fact. It doesn't matter how tough they are. Like Derrick Henry right now, out. Alvin Kamara right now, out. CMC right now, out. Aaron Jones just came back from injury. Montgomery just came back from injury. Like it is a high injury rate position. So you stack guys that are cheaper in terms of draft capital, like Khalil Herbert, or in terms of overall contract. Um and you build a stable of two or three of them because you're going to need all of them. They're all going to get dinged up, especially as we move towards an 18-game season, which is going to happen. And that's the way you go in terms of team building. It doesn't. This is not an anti-running back podcast. I'm I'm the opposite. I'm a pro running back podcast and what they can what they can contribute to an offense. But in terms of Montgomery, like getting a thousand yards, people say, "See, see, he got two thousand yard seasons. He was worth it." And I'm like, "Yeah, well." Do you think that Khalil Herbert, given full-time carries in this offense, wouldn't be a thousand yard back? The answer is I really think he would. Right. And he's the sixth, one pick versus two picks. So there's that little tiny gnomish live in a basement, dark piece of me that's like, yeah, 
David Montgomery, great player. Love to see him get a thousand yards. Yeah, you're you're kind of acting like the trolls under the Seattle bridges right now, but that's all right. Absolutely. Let's talk about the last one, and that is Tevin Jenkins and his, I think, probable return to some sort of active lineup. We'll see if he actually gets in the game. And I think this also extends to Larry Borum. Reps for these young offensive linemen to see what they look like and to try to get some evaluation to see if you have something to build off of into the future. Yeah, I want to see it. Let's be super clear. I want to see it. I want to see Tevin Jenkins meaningful snaps in 2021. Like I, I, for all the reasons you mentioned live action, speed of the game, potential shift from right tackle to left tackle. These are all things that need to be assessed with live bullets, right? You can't say that, Oh, he's looked great on the practice field. Like lots of people look great on the practice field. I need to know if a guy that you again spent a high round pick on is somebody that you can lean on in a preeminent and important position or not. And I'm not sure that there's even enough games left to truly tell that, but you can get a decent idea, right? You can get some film against teams that are motivated down the stretch against plus pass rushers and say, does he have a shot? Or does he have a long way to go? Right. And if he has a long way to go, you have different decisions to make. Or or maybe you decide, hey, he moves to right where he's more comfortable. There's a lot of variables here, which makes assessment difficult. But regardless, real live game tape at speed in the pro game is necessary. So no matter how it looks, and I don't really so much care about the results. What I care about is that you get some and then he gets healthy reps at full game speed. And if he gets those, hopefully whoever is in the Bears power structure after the reshuffle at the end of the year can look at that and say, okay, well, he had this guy and one-on-one, he did his job. He had this guy, one-on-one, he didn't do his job. And we can fix that or mm, that's not something we think we can fix. That's a different piece of calculus as you move into another draft and free agency cycle. So those are the things that we think that Bears fans can take a look at and enjoy the last six games. Like It's not necessarily about the result. You don't have to worry about the first-round pick because that's already on the roster. That's <laughs> Justin Fields, right? You bet. So you don't have to worry about, oh, man, if they lose, they'll get a higher pick. Nope. Don't, don't worry about that. Like Try to focus on these things. Maybe there's some other things that you're interested in. Maybe you're interested in Jalen Johnson and what he can look like down the stretch and stay healthy and continue his great play, right? Maybe you want to see if Eddie Jackson can come back and, and make a difference if he can be healthy down the stretch. Like there, there are things that you can cheer for that are more player-specific about the guys that are potentially going to be building blocks moving forward. So that's what we suggest. Let's talk about the beers. How was this double red IPA that you have pulled. Oh, this stuff is so good. Like I'm, I'm really impressed with San Juan Island brewing. I've had three different styles from now them. I've had their double red IPA. I've had their Hellas and I've had another beer from them. They are really good for a young brewery. Uh, we talk about young players, same as young, young breweries. Consistency is a big deal. A lot of times you can have a great beer from a young brewery and then you get another batch and you're like, ah, oh, they missed, right? And consistency is really important. San Juan nails it. They are extremely high quality beers. They're really tasty. They have a great balance 
and so far in my experience with them, which is again, only three different beers that I've tried from them, they've all been really good and they, the quality is consistently high. So I, I realize not very many listeners are going to be able to get one of these. Uh, you know, they're probably local to the Northwest for now. They are a small brewery, but if you're around and you are in <laughs> North Northwest Washington, um, <laughs> go ahead and grab one of these because I don't care. As long as the style matches up with something you like, they're delicious and super high quality. So even they're not even really in my local market. Like I got this when I went north uh, to Anacortes and I was like, oh, San Juan. Like and I grabbed a, you know, it was a four pack of 16 ounce cans. A little bit on the pricey side, but delicious stuff. Great, great new brewery. Hmm, that's awesome. And it's an awesome place to visit because oh, one, of sure. my, one of my favorite places in the world. So um, this is also good can art from Indeed oh, yeah. Brewing Company, uh, Mexican Honey Imperial Lager. And it's got, uh, you know, bees all over it. Um, really good. Nice suggestion from Theoden King 58 I don't really know what that handle is all about, but I appreciate the uh the suggestion and i'm glad that i got it it is eight percent i did drink the whole thing and i do feel it so there is that oh i'm uh, with you i didn't have uh we recorded this right after work so i've not yet had dinner and i drank an eight percent 16 ounce can on an empty stomach and feeling good man even yep, right though the, the bears prospects aren't great this weekend i'm <laughs> feeling fine um all right, well, we'll get out of here, but if you're already watching this on YouTube, really appreciate it. Uh, give us a like, a subscribe, and you know, give us a comment. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Um, focus on what you like, but you know, we'll, we'll take the criticism as well. Uh, if you're interested in helping us out and want to be part of the team, uh, head on over to Patreon. We are giving our doing our giveaway, and we're doing our uh, happy hour. We're setting that up here soon. I have my giveaway stuff ready to go i'm giving away a pack of those monsters of the midway israel adonage cards um so oh. very excited about that and then ej and i are both wearing orange this week i don't know if this was a coincidence or not but um bears wearing orange this weekend so uh if oh. nothing else the orange jerseys are coming out and i i like the orange jerseys i'm in i the like the orange jersey we did so. not sync that on purpose this just happened to be the clean one so i grabbed it off the top of the pile uh, but I just thought about it. I think I have a giveaway. Hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, my wife got me. She ordered me something bears themed for birthday or Christmas. I can't remember. And with it, it was it was like an eBay lot. And what came with it were a pack of um, a limited number of uh, like the small like gas station schedules that you would get from either 85 or 86 oh wow and i still have them um mm. like i have like six of them so i think one slated for you and one slated for lester but i think we might be able to pry one of those loose i had forgotten i had that little stack and i just remembered when you were saying i've assembled my stuff because i know you cleaned out your garage and i was like oh <laughs> so it's it's basically like the little game preview schedule that you would get at the supermarket or the gas station but it's from 85 or 86 so pretty relevant time in bears history so we'll get that out. If you want to be part of that drawing, if you want to be part of the, you know, head on over to Patreon again, really cool. If you even consider doing that, we really appreciate that. But otherwise um, I've got some stuff out on the website, you know, I do write. So check that out. Got uh, continued my breakdown of QB rating already mentioned the article about who to cheer for. Um, 
game reviews. Make sure you're checking out the other podcasts. Bill has another great guest, of course, um, on on his show. Uh, Robert is going to be recapping the games live right after, not live, but like, you know, immediately after the games, um, lesser with T formation conversation. So there's always a lot of good podcasts going on on the channel. Um, what about you? Anything interesting going on with you? Uh, bootlegs coming out, uh, will be out certainly by the time this drops. Uh, and we have started up doing Thursday night live streams. So this week it's going to be on Brett's channel, the film room channel, over on YouTube. And basically we're hanging out, watching the Thursday night game, answering questions. Um, just sort of doing the, I don't want to say the anti Manning cast. Cause I really like the Manning cast. We're a little <laughs> bit different than the Manning cast, certainly a little bit lower profile, but, uh, we're, we've started up doing that. I think it's going to continue for the rest of the season. We'll see how it goes. Um, but those are probably the big rocks. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, thanks as always for joining us and until next week, bear down.